Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available if their child lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you in part by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is a web application we created Appreciate your support in advance. It has over 1,000 training videos and over 101 fun soccer games. And if you've been using a product, you this is going to sound familiar to you. We're adding the passing module as we speak. And one thing that makes the uh, product unique is I'm going through excruciating detail to be as progressive as possible. And I often say I'm doing a lot of the dirty work that you just don't have time to do in team training. So what that looks like in a passing series that we're adding is one touch with the right foot for five minutes, you know, in the interval based format, and then one touch with the left foot for, in the interval based format in the next next uh, video. And then you do the same thing with both. And then you go to two touches. Because as a parent working with my child, I saw very early on that um, team training was not enough time to do those repetitive yet crucial uh, soccer moves that are extremely essential. And then on the flip side, I knew that five, 10 minutes was about of any one particular type of drill was about all my boys wanted to do at one time. So we can do an hour or hour and a half training session, but they're broken into five to 10 minute chunks with plenty of breaks. And my boys get a lot out of that. And oh, by the way, we get four to five times more touches than the average kid in a training session. Why? Because I'm not thinking about what I want to do. And there are thousands of videos. So it starts off with basics, but it gets it ramps up to quote unquote advanced stuff pretty soon. So if you haven't checked out anytime-soccer.com, I encourage you to do so. And, uh, and if you are using it, do me a favor, send me an email to neil, uh, N-E-I-L at anytime-soccer.com. And let me know, um, let me know your thoughts on, on the app and give me any feedback you may have. Because what we do is people send us feedback all the time. And I try my best to incorporate it into the program. As a matter of fact, we're about to, in a couple of weeks, we're going to add a reward system to the program to motivate your children to motivate themselves to get better. All right. So now on to the show. So in a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I did a show entitled uh, Your Child Doesn't Love Soccer, or at least they don't love it as much as, as we may think. And that was a controversial title, hopefully get some eyeballs, but it's part of a larger um, series that I want to do of unpopular opinions. And part of that is part of a larger, I guess you'd say, overarching um, series of, you know, of what this podcast is about, which is um, a lot of stuff I want to talk about are not soccer specific. These are timeless life lessons um, that we're just using soccer to um, yeah, we're just using soccer uh, to help uh, teach our children some of these timeless life lessons. And I actually learned a lot about stuff myself. And so I got a lot of feedback from that show. And one particular comment um, effectively said, hey, Neil, you don't know. You can't possibly know what's going on in someone else's head, someone else's heart, or whether or not they love something or not. And that's absolutely true, right? 
Um, and I thought about that. And that's absolutely true. I, 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 I completely agree to that. But what I was really trying to say in the show was a couple of things. Number one was I was trying to teach my sons, because they listen to this stuff, and share something with your family that says, listen, if you love something, if you truly love something like you say you do, love has deeds. Love has sacrifice. Love has commitments. So I should see evidence of your love towards this thing that you say you love, right? Now, of course, in sport, it needs to be developmentally appropriate. So for example, when my sons were three or four or five, they just love playing with the ball all the time. You may say all kids do. Yeah, but I saw something. I maybe had a lot to do with the environment that I put them in, but they really love playing it way more than other kids. And so I saw that. So that's that love. It's not sacrifice or whatever, but you're kind of seeing that they're a little different. But then as they get older and matriculate, that love for something turns into actions that are appropriate, development appropriate for their age. It may look like um, they want to beat their juggling record. It may look like they're willing to train with you. It could look like uh, they want you to sign them up for competitive sports. Whatever that is, you should start seeing actions and um, sacrifices and commitments that support the love. And if and then, quite frankly, I don't care what you think. I don't care what's actually going on in your head. If you say, you know, if you say you love something, then this is some of the actions that I should be able to tie to your to your um, behavior. And so that was from the player's perspective. And then from the parent and parent trainer's perspective, and I've seen this more often than I would like to admit, oftentimes we ascribe behavior incorrectly uh to love when and, and, that, and that I think that potentially could have problems right so if my child you know enjoys playing in the games and enjoys the swag and enjoys hanging out with his friends um but never wants to train never shows any interest touching the ball outside of team training and stuff then I should start processing that and saying you know what Maybe my child doesn't want me to throw in the extra trainings. Maybe my child doesn't want me to use any time soccer training. Maybe my child doesn't need all the soccer camps and all the, um, the competitive leagues. Maybe they'd be much more happier in a challenge league, a high school league, playing rec, whatever. And I've seen it time and time again that I perceive that parents perceive their child's behavior that's more fundamentally fundamental of a child being a child with some sense of love for, for soccer. And then I concluded by saying, if they're in the foundation phase, I don't even think they're mature enough to, to show that, that level of love that, um, that we would associate with someone who actually wants to do soccer long-term, right? So even with my boys, the jury is still out, right? They're gonna change, they're gonna mature, they're gonna reach puberty, they're gonna have other interests. And I have to be prepared and mentally ready um, to accept them for who they are, because if they're if they're rational people, eventually they're going to look and say, wait a minute now, <laughs> uh, I have no prospects in this thing. And so I don't want to spend, you know, five days on the soccer field trying to do something that I have no future in. Or they may say, I love this thing. I ain't got no future in it, but I enjoy playing it so much. And I just want to continue doing it. And that choice has to be theirs. And that's just what I'm going to what I'm going to do. But what I'm not going to do is. Um, what I'm not going to do is they're 15 and come to me and say, dad, why didn't you tell me that playing at this level required this level of commitment? That won't happen. They're going to know the deal. All right. So this show is sponsored in part by Anytime 
soccer training. If you haven't checked out Anytime Soccer Training, I encourage you to go to anytime-soccer.com and check out the website. You can join for free. It has over 1,000 training videos and over um, 101 fun soccer games. Now, so let's just go get on to the show. So this week, um, I'm going to talk about something that, again, could be a little bit controversial. It's definitely from my perspective. I'm not in the business of trying to insult clubs, coaches, parents, any of that kind of stuff. I actually want to bring a positive and more discerning um, perspective to, to this whole youth soccer space. But I do want to keep it real, and I do want to share some things that I, was, that I have been thinking about. And so please... Just let's, once I drop this podcast, let's get on Facebook and, and uh, discuss. But just remember that it's, it's not personal. I, I actually think of this stuff more of a management science perspective. I'm just applying this stuff to the soccer, but it could be anything. Okay, so here we go. So um, if you did a poll, and I do this sometimes on social media, and you ask coaches, you know, informally, club directors, what are some of their biggest challenges in in dealing with youth sports, inevitably, they're going to say parents. Parents are going to be in the top three, some kind of way, parent behavior. And I actually get that because I have to deal with parents all the time too. And so I get that. And so, but, but what I don't get as much or what I don't identify as much is, is if you know this is a problem, you know, this is an issue. I always felt like uh, when we dig into the details, there are things that clubs can do to mitigate some of these problems. issues that they're having um, that they don't do. And I don't completely understand why if their goal is to solve the problem. And I don't want to be too harsh on them because you're not going to get 100% compliance. But I always felt like, you know what? That's a fixable problem. That that problem, what the parent does at home, that may not be fixable. But what they're doing in the 90 minutes they're with you, that's a fixable problem, or at least part of that is. And so then that got me to thinking, well, man, what is what are some of the things that my club does that contributes to the culture that I experience as it, uh, every day when I deal with my club. So, and that's a roundabout way of saying they don't do the things that I'm going to list based on controlling parent behavior. But some of the things, and I'm just going to drop a few, there's zillions of things that they do that create a culture that is conducive to the parent behavior that I think we want to see. But it's also a culture that supports sort of high expectation standards and high performance. And so I'm going to drop some of the things they do. I want to hear some of the things your club uh, does. And I'm dropping some of the things they do. And it's a, it's, it's a little bit of inspired by a true story and a little bit of this is ideally what happens. And then a little bit of this is how they execute. So it's not a sales pitch for this club. As a matter of fact, I don't recommend any of these clubs. But it's just, uh, hey, here are some things that we do, food for thought. What are you guys doing? Why are you doing this? Or why are you not doing this? And then you give me your opinion um, on, uh, on what you think. And it's not going to be in any specific order as well. So, again, I've always said I'm a high expectations advocate. And I got that from working in the schools and working with young people. I'm also a standards advocate, meaning we're going to have the same standards across the board. And I refuse to lower my standards based on your personal situation, especially when it's an optional activity. We we may or may not get into that. And then underlying that is trust, right? 
and then building confidence with the process. So it's not, you know, in providing a, a great service. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say as a school, we got these high expectations and we have these standards, but if you're not, if the kids are not learning and, and then the kids are not feeling loved and, and you and they don't trust your leadership, then all this stuff falls apart. So it all has to work in concert. So it's not only expectations and standards, it all has to work in concert, but that's sort of what, um, what I believe. Okay. And I think all of us agree that youth soccer in general, when it comes to these clubs, has issues. I think one of the biggest issues is the marketing hype. The, the, sorry, what's delivered just can't possibly um, meet up with the market hype. And then I think another big issue is the professionalism within the clubs. And you might say, well, it's supposed to be fun. And whatever, but I'm not talking about that level of it. I'm talking about the professional mindset. And that's kind of what we're talking about. So even when I coach recreational soccer, I still apply a professional mindset. And the parents, I hope, at least that's what they tell me, they see the difference. Now, kids, as a matter of fact, my children, I, I think, have more fun um, when they train with me in these rec environments, not so much individually, but with these rec environments, because I've done so much research, because I happen to be a professional, on how to do a soccer training uh, sorry, team tr training in a rec environment for fun. I even wrote an ebook on it. You should go to the website and check it out. That they happen to have more fun. But, but from a professional perspective, you know, I have standards. I try to build culture. We start on time. You know, I build trust with the parents. I'm communicating with them. everything that I would want a rec coach to do with me for my child. That's what I'm investing into the team. So that's what, so again, I want to dispel this sort of myth that professional mindset means anything other than attitude right it has nothing to do with creativity it has nothing to do with structure you can be have a professional mindset and intentionally be unstructured right i, I worked in schools and that was the whole thing we got unstructured um school but it's based on pedagogy it has nothing to do with how you run a training environment so let's just just please guys just just let's just get no, it's not military is nothing. It's just and and then the second thing I want to do before we get into this is and there's no one way, right? So this is not this is not a uh, criticism. If what you're doing is working, share it, right? What you're doing is working, and there's nothing to talk about. But this is for the folks in part who are saying, boy, what what I'm doing with the parents or the parents I'm inheriting or what we're doing is not working because it's evident by the parent behavior. Okay, so that's that's that part of the lecture. All right, so we're gonna go into sort of some of the things that my son's club does that creates a culture that at least I appreciate. So, and this is, this is no particular order. So, they have a strict uniform policy. So I posted on Facebook, I said, hey, well, you know, if, if a child in the foundation phase arrives at a game without the right uniform, what, how would you deal with that? And, the, you know, you can imagine that the responses range the gamut, but a, 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 a consistent response was, there were two consistent responses. Oh, they're in the foundation phase, it's all about playing, just give them a penny or just work it out. And another common response was, they're in the foundation phase, their kids, it's your, it's the parents' responsibility to make sure this stuff is taken care of and you can't punish, you shouldn't punish the child for the parents' behavior. Both of those of which I found to be 
uh, strange responses based on my experiences with our club. And so let me let me sort of break down some stuff in detail. Not only do we have a strict um, uniform policy for games, we have a strict uniform policy for training. If you show up to training without, we have two kids. If you show up to training without the proper kit on, you have to stay at the training, but you are not allowed to train with the team. You just have to sit there and watch. And then guess what happens? It happens once a year with one of the new kids and some kind of way, miraculously, it never happens again. So is the kid uncomfortable a little bit? Yeah, I'm sure the coaches talk to them a little bit and whatever, but after that, it never happens again. Why? Because the kid then, number one, make sure they get this stuff together. And the kids started then holding the parents accountable. My, my son is constantly telling me, tech team style, what uniform, what uniform? Maybe it's a little bit of fear, whatever. But the bottom line is he doesn't show up to do, he did it one time and he never shows up to the game, I mean, to the practice uh, in the wrong kit. And then that brings me to the next point. We have our games, and this is a weird situation, but are in Charlotte and I'm in Raleigh. So it's about two, two and a half hours away. And so we're driving all the way to Raleigh. Um, I'm sorry, all the way to Charlotte for our games. And not one time, these are eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds. And then I'm sure this is traveling to the whole team, but these are the kids that I'm looking at. Not a single time has a kid shown up in Charlotte without the proper kid on. Why? Because the expectations and standards are there. I guarantee that if you didn't have these standards and expectations, somebody would always be showing up with the wrong kid on because they would have to go all the way back. They couldn't possibly go back to Charlotte. Uh, sorry, Raleigh, I keep mixing it up. Can't possibly go all the way back to get their proper kit. So in effect, having these this standard and expectation makes the coaches' jobs easier because everybody takes care of business. But remember I said, it's not enough just to have the standards and just to have the expectations. You gotta do the stuff behind the scenes to make this, to make it work and make it successful. So let's talk about a tale of two clubs. I have one of my sons is in one club and the other one's in the club that I'm talking about. But my son is in the other club, they sent out an email and you have, if the parent or guardian or the child have to order your uniform online. You get to pick your size and you order it when you want to order it. And they recommend that you order it before the season. And what happens with this particular service is when we order it, we order it before the season, but they always come, there's always a back, back shipment because they, they print them to order, right? So it always takes longer. Uh, in other words, you always go into the season without having some part of some piece of kit. And you'll see the kids throughout this, uh, at the beginning of the season darted out there with different kid on and then you also choose the sizes so you'll see kids you know wearing all the various size kits as well so some kids will be wearing and it's clearly too large for them but I guess the parents are like me and like listen you're gonna grow into this and then some are wearing it um clearly too 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 small for, for their size, right? And maybe it's a hand-me-down from the brothers or whatever. And then as you get older and they become teenagers and they become more fashion conscious and you'll see this and oh, God, I don't wanna be sexist, but then it's, I, when I look at the, the, the teenage girls, their kit um, sizes can be all over the place, right? Based on, I don't know what it's based on actually, cause I don't 
I just just glance, but I just know the sizes are all over the place. And then the same thing with the boys. Even my son now is trying to play around with his shin guards and his socks to kind of add a little bit of a flair to it. But the bottom line is kids want to be unique. Some kids want to be unique. And so if you give them the ability to order their kit, right, then they're going to pick kits that may or may not fit. The dress code standards that you want or at least my club wants for their club kids so what does my club do they order your kit number one and they measure you at the beginning of the season or right before the end of the beginning the end of the season before whatever so that they make sure they order the proper size for you so everybody has the proper size and so that goes a long way so then on day one there's no excuses you if i see a child without the proper kit on in practicing uh, at my son's club, then I know that they just joined the club and their kid is on his way. That's the only reason, that's the only way they're gonna be practicing. Okay, and then not only did we, so we talked about the size, we talked about the fact that they handled this so you're gonna get it. And then everybody has to show, everybody has to have the kit tucked in and ready to roll upon arrival. Now. Is wearing your kid a certain way? Because I already, you know, if I were on Facebook, there'd be these coaches saying, oh, um, you know, it ain't about the kid. You can develop, develop and blah, I get it. The key is this. There's two things. Number one, we all agree that youth soccer has areas of improvement. So that means that if your club is doing and I, every time I talk to people, they always tell me their club is doing great. So you should be, if you, if we know youth soccer as a whole in America uh, needs improvement and you're telling me your club is one of the few that are doing it right, then you should be able to articulate to me, what are those things that you're doing, your club is doing differently than everybody else, uh, this, this generating the success, right? So that's number one. And whatever that thing that you're doing different or those, those baskets of things that you're doing dis different, I think we all agree that in isolation, none of them really make that big of a difference. It's all together as part of a broader culture. And I don't wanna keep you here for three hours trying to explain to you every single thing they do. And I'm just dropping a few tips, tip, tidbits, so you can kind of get a sense of what we're talking about. So does having a shirt tucked in, you know, mean that you're gonna be developing players? In isolation, of course not. But everybody shows up in the same way, and it starts by the operations of how you how the kid arrived in the first place. Then all of our children, if you can make a mental note of this, again, a tale of two um, clubs, all of our kids have to arrive at least 15 minutes early before practice, training, right? And I know what you're saying. Well, what about work? And I was going Listen, people tend to work it out. And then what happens is if you have some extenuating circumstances, you have to communicate that to the uh, director of coaching. But people tend to work it out. My other club, on the, my son in the other club, on the other hand, he can just roll up when he wants to. But, you know, we try to be on time, but he definitely, I'm definitely not going to give them more time than, than needed because they're not going to use that time. So I do a 10 minute, 15, 10 minute, 10 to 15 minute anytime soccer training pre-practice workout with my son. So he'll do five minutes of juggling, five minutes of ball mastery, or five minutes of dribbling and five minutes of juggling, whatever, just enough to get those little touches in and get him warmed up before he arrives um, uh, to practice. Okay. And I do that with my older one as well, but you know, I really do it with my younger one. I really do it when they're not in a club where they have to arrive 15 minutes early because that's time that I have extra time I have that I can work with them. 
And when they arrive, they have to arrive and, and they go, they, they stay in the car until the uh, club is ready for them. Once they get the signal from the team manager, then they go to the rendezvous, they go to a rendezvous point. So they're not just straggling onto the field because normally when they arrive, there's another team training and the training environment is precious, right? So would you allow, if you were teaching kids, would you allow other kids to walk through the back um, of, the, of the class while it's going on? At least, and, and, and some of this I'm putting in, you know, they don't sit there and tell us Neanderthal parents why and what they're doing. So I'm kind of trying to read between the lines. No, they meet at a rendezvous point um, off the pitch. And this allows the kids to get the giggles out, laugh, joke, play, talk to each other in a central place instead of doing all that stuff all over the field while the other team is training. Then once it's their time, the coach now has time to get set up, get mentally ready. Then they, they're going to the field all at the same time as a unit. And now the coach is ready for them. So you don't have one cut kid coming early and talking to the coach while he's, he or she is trying to set up. And then another one straggles in. And then another one, they all there as a unit. And then that translates to the game so and i'm god i'm gonna it's so much i'm gonna try to be quick with this they have to arrive at games 90 minutes before kickoff and this is a little painful for a parent especially considering we're already driving two and a half hours um, before the game and you can imagine me before games i do a 30 minute anytime soccer training sort of light workout with my um, older son because again that equates to four, almost 30 sorry about 20 hours of extra um touches on the ball um and he gets more touches in that light workout he does with me than all the other kids are going to get during a game combined. So I really got to get there early. But it's very, very profound in a, in a great demonstration to the kids that, you know, if you're going into battle, you're going into a competitive situation, you're going into a job interview, right? Um, you need to get there before everybody else. And, and so I don't know if you've ever gone to a job interview or gone to a, a meeting situation where lots of people are going to be coming in. Well, if it's really important to me, I always get there way before everybody else. So I can get the parking spot, get mentally ready. I can see the other people come in. I can introduce myself to each person individually as they arrive and I can work the room and I'm there before everybody else. And then sometimes you can meet the host and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. And then that person knows you before everybody else arrives. Well, those are the life lessons that they're teaching by getting there 90 minutes early. So if you can imagine this, they get there 90 minutes early. Again, they meet at the specified uh, rendezvous point. Normally they get to watch another team play because they play multiple games. So they get to watch an, another of their older boys. Uh, we only have boy teams play a little bit of a game in the rendezvous point. They messing around. And they arrive there before the other team gets there. And the other team, if you've been in any of these youth soccer games, are probably straggling on. Oh, I forgot the water. Let me go back and get my water. One kid comes, next kid comes, we get warmed up. None of that. We are operating in the same way that the kid that we would expect the children to operate if they were on the first team. There's no magical day that we say, okay, now we got to start uh, arriving on time. No, no, no. You start on day one and people will have a view on this. Let them be kids, whatever. I grew up on the farm. So if you grew up on a farm, there, there really isn't a let them be kids type of situation. As long as you old enough to, uh, if you old enough to do stuff, then you're going to be out there doing it and let them be kids was just not part of my dad's vocabulary. So maybe that's why um, I'm attracted to a club that has these types of um, uh, 
practices and culture and that kind of stuff. All right, so now we're gonna move on. I'm gonna look at my notes, a few things they do that are differently. Uh, we talked about the uniforms. <sighs> okay. You are not, so the club guarantees that you can train, but they don't guarantee that you can play in games. Not only do they not guarantee you're gonna play, you're not even guaranteed to be rostered. And so what that looks like is the club trains in training pools and they pluck from those pools the roster of kids who are going to play in a game each week. Now, the way it works itself out in practice, sort of, is the kids play every week and they have a game. But in the kids' mind, they don't know this. So that week, they have to compete to make sure they're rostered in the game. But if there are any parent issues, so let's say your parent is coaching on the sidelines or you decided to go on vacation, nothing wrong with that, that week, or you missing training, or you late, or whatever, then your child will not be rostered for that game. Now, when you're not rostered, you still practice with the kids who are not in the game, but you're not rostered, and you just train. And so that nips a lot of parent behavior in the bud right there, because I think we all agree that parents want their kids to play in these games, and when their kid is not rostered at least one time, that sends an ostensible signal to the child and to the parent of our expectations. And then the child starts actually holding the parent accountable. And I hear parents say, or coaches say, oh, you shouldn't punish a kid for the parent's behavior, which I find kind of odd in the sense that, listen, you know, that's not how life works. You're part of a family. You're part of a team. That's the definition of a team. Your behavior impacts me and my behavior impacts you positively or, and negatively. And sometimes it's not fair. If I don't pay the light bills um, this month, Duke Power is not gonna come out and say, okay, which room is yours and which room is uh, Matthew and Adam's? And we need to turn the light. No, they're gonna turn the lights off, right? And so my kids are gonna suffer from my um, hardship or negligence. And the same thing, if my kids go to school and act a fool, the, the the teachers, they're going to call me and I have to then go and spend time trying to deal with the situation and I'm going to suffer for, for their um, negligence or, or issue. So we're in this thing as a family now. And so missing, maybe I'm old school, but missing one game because of not following team rules, you know, if that's punishment, then it's going to scar you for life. Then, you know, maybe I'm just old school and we have to agree to disagree. And I don't want to be combative. combative. I'm actually doing this pretty quickly because I have to um, run somewhere. And I just want to throw this stuff out there, you know, for you guys for public consumption. And some of you listening are in the local area and you'll know, you'll be familiar with our team. So when I see you, we're talking, and you know who you are, we'll talk about some of the things that I've listened to in this podcast. And so then as the training pools, what the training pools allow the club to do, that gives them a lot of flexibility in that um, you're not on one team per se. You're kind of on a team, but you're not. So for example, my son right now does not train with his official team. He trains with the group of older kids. And then some of the older kids train with the younger kids, even though they're on the older team on the older team's roster. Maybe they've been injured. Maybe they need to work on a few things. It also provides a leadership opportunity for them. And the same thing. Sometimes some of the kids on my son's team trains with the older kids and my son trains with the younger kids. And I don't know all the logic behind why the club does this, but here's what I do know. Uh, because it is so fluid, right? So like, like even as we speak right now, one of the best 
kids on the older team is practicing with the younger team training pool. And my older, my son and I are scratching our heads like, man, I wonder why he's doing that. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, just speculating. But what it does do is it sort of sets the tone that um, we're focused on long-term development, right? And I don't know if they do this thing and these things as Jedi mind tricks on us parents, but you really stop getting into, I'm on the gold and the silver and the platinum and the um, pick the, um, how many other metals, the platinum uh, team. This is, this will be a, a weird conversation for our parents because we're in training pools. The only time that rears his head is in the first team, once they, because we have a first team and a second team. And the kids on the second team and the kids on the first team are constantly fighting to be um, rostered on the first team. And that's where you get into that. And so you may hear if our club, if, if they're old enough, they may say, hey, I'll play for the first team. But other than that, we don't have all the colors and all the names. And I'm not knocking clubs to do it because if you have, and our, our, one of our local clubs has 17,000 kids, you got to have some kind of system. So it's not a knock. It's just saying this is one of the, I guess you'd say, advantages and disadvantages of having a smaller club. Because one of the reasons we have to um, train in pools is because we don't have, you know, uh, 10 2010s at the same level of my son so that he can get the most out of it. We just don't have that where other clubs, you may have that and vice versa. Okay. But not being rostered is huge or the potential not to be rostered is huge. We had one family that were, they, 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 they were living their best life and they used to go on a lot of vacations and the club effectively said to them, you, you're more than welcome to train with us to a degree but we cannot roster your child anymore until we get a commitment from you because we can't have a situation where you just can't make the games. So that's huge. So we talked about arriving early. We talked about the uniform policy. We talked about the um, um, being rostered in the training pools. Now, a couple other things I'll throw out there. It's honorable mentions. Um, let me just get my thoughts together. Again, the training that they provide, I happen to believe is really, really good. And because the training is good and the service and the commitment is there, all of this other stuff works in concert. If you didn't have that, then it probably would fall apart because the parents and the players for that matter would not get the perceived, would not feel as if they were getting the perceived value. Okay, so here's another thing I wanna drop with you, which is, very difficult to explain in social media and definitely not for every club at all and and weird and definitely has its pros and cons but our parents are not allowed to speak to the coaches ever under any circumstances without i mean about soccer so i cannot Email, call, text, telegram, smoke signal, anything to my children's, uh, sorry, my son and my son's club, anything to them about soccer. I cannot talk to them about their strengths. I can't talk to them about my son's weaknesses. I can't talk to them about why my son is playing, why he's not. I, as a parent, cannot talk to my child's son, coach, about soccer 
And I think they haven't told us this, and then we're going to get into how I do communicate to them about sorry. But I think what this does, it frees up a huge portion of that coach's um, time, energy, effort, whatever, of because now they never have to deal with me. They'll never talk to me about soccer. The only conversations I have with the coaches are fun, jovial conversations. Um, so I talk to them, but never about soccer. We talk about other things. And occasionally, and this is pushing it, but occasionally one of them will say, man, uh, Adam, you got you to keep working hard. You're doing good. But even that is just more conversational. It's not to be taken literal. Um, so yeah, you can never talk to them ever about that. And that's, that's probably a, a strange one. And I think part of this is an outgrowth of the personalities that, that run the club, but part of it is also a practical matter. You know, if I have an eight-year-old, nine-year-old child, I mean, really, what? If you're dealing with a hundred parents and a hundred parents want to talk to you, how many of those conversations are really going to be positive, right? Probably not very many. And so I think the club has said, you know what? It's probably not even worth the, the, the heartache and pain to have our coaches have to deal with parents on that level. So then the question becomes, well, how then do we communicate to the club about issues that we're having soccer, how we ask questions? Well, it's a very strict rule. You email our director of coaching with a very simple um, email, not too long, about what it is you want to talk to the staff about as it relates to your child's soccer development. Then they set up a time to talk to you and you can and, and you talk to them. Now, I haven't actually had too many conversations with them about my child's development because I'm a parent trainer. And I, you know, if I'm there, I believe if I'm there watching 24-7 and I can hear what they're saying, I don't really have a lot of questions, but I'm unique in that regard. But then at the end of the season, they have meetings with you and all and, and your coach. And that's when y'all can talk about sort of their development and what's going on. I would imagine if there was some major conflict, then they would arrange it where you could talk to the coach and you guys can hash this out. I haven't, I haven't done that and I'm not involved in that at that level. So um, I'm only outside looking in. But if I need to talk to them about soccer, I email them, then we set up a time and we talk. And so I met with the club director once over, um, over the summer. It was about something else, but that was an opportunity again, you could talk to them about your child's development and where you're at. And so if I hear, you know, I'll bring that up because if I hear a parent, a coach saying to me, you know, uh, I, you know, one of the, in this Facebook group, one of the coaches said, yeah, I have issues with parents. And then I responded, like, give me an example. And then the coach said, you know, after the games, the parents want to talk to me about what happened in the game after practice, they want to talk to me. Well, if I'm not saying if, if what you're doing with your parents is working, then ignore this. But if, if what you're doing is not working, even try a moratorium. Listen, this month, I got this. I'm not going to have any communication with you, with you about your child in soccer or whatever. So, boom, take it for whatever it's worth. Um, another thing that we do, and I'm not saying, again, when I say that we do these things, I'm not saying other clubs don't. A lot of clubs that I see don't. And I only have a very small sample size of clubs in my area right and even within that i'm not even seeing the entire clubs all the teams only seeing a very very small um, sample size but we have a serious preseason, and it's really really well established 
And so I've been doing some posts on Facebook about how, you know, do you do any conditioning with the ball or without the ball and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the consensus is, you know, in the soccer environment, most of your conditioning should be done with the ball. But there's a constituency of people out here who say you shouldn't do any conditioning without the ball during the foundation phase. I don't agree with that from a soccer perspective, but I'm also not a soccer expert. So, you know, I'm not going to win any soccer arguments. But what a serious preseason does at my club um, is it builds community um, with the team to helps them bond and endure a long season. And they do extent, they do things extensively, um, almost like a rites of passage that helps the team bond. So for example, they'll do heel running, right? They do a beep test. And the coach also for the older kids asks them, you know, you got to get up. And he only he's only done this once, but he'll probably do it occasionally. At 6:30 a.m. or no later than 6:30 a.m., do a two-mile run and email your results. And what he explained to me, explained to us after the first meeting was, you know, this is a way, it's not really about the running. What it is saying is your, again, is, uh, you know, I think you take it from the Anytime Soccer Training Playbook, your fitness is your responsibility as an elite athlete. And you might say, oh, don't they do conditioning in practice? Of course. But as an elite athlete, right, my expectation is you come with a base level fitness. You shouldn't be coming like 10 pounds out of weight. Oh, overweight. And you'll hear in the professional environment, they'll say, oh, so-and-so showed up to training camp out of shape. The expectation is you show up to training camp in shape. And then the, and then the staff gets you match fit, right? There's a difference between being out of shape and being matched, being sorry, being in shape, but not match fit and being completely out of shape and being, being in shape is your personal responsibility. And that is what they're really trying to, um, teach the kids it's not really about the soccer it's not about okay using every second to be on the ball it's about are you willing to take um personal responsibility for your fitness and that means looking at the weather saying it's gonna be 110 heat index i need to do this stuff in the morning before it becomes dangerous so that's um that's sort of sort of and i'll do it that's kind of wraps it up i'll do a couple of honorable um honorable mentions like you know when it comes to games and stuff we're not allowed to bring the kids water or anything like that you need to kind of take care of that stuff before um i mean there's so many other things uh that we that we that, that they do but i just wanted to give you guys a snippet so i would love to hear your feedback to tell me oh man it sounds like uh you guys are running a military regime and i've been accused of that i actually posted on facebook um a movie that my boys and i enjoy uh major pain and, and i'm actually going to have them watch it again even though it has a few risque scenes but i'm gonna have them watch it again and we're going to talk about you know leadership and how major pain was able to um transform his unit into you know uh, a, a winning team and sort of what are the things that he's done. And I think some of the things you have to do if you have families and you have kids coming from environments that you deem have low expectations and low standards, you have to do some things that ostensibly um, and radically set the expectations and set the standards with the understanding that you're gonna get criticism and one of the criticisms you're going to get is people mitigate any one particular um, thing that you do, not understanding 
you know, the sum of all the parts, how it works together. You, and you have to do it. So like, you know, again, I don't want youth sports to be like the military, but I'll use a military analogy. You know, when I was in the military, first thing they do, they, they cut your hair, right? And that, boom, now everybody's on the same exact page. Uh, it's ostensive, extensive. You look totally different than you did before. And it's just a, it's just a sign that, you know, we're going to, we're going to do things differently here. And then I use the military analogy again. Do you have to keep a skinhead for your entire time in the military? Of course not. Once you get the culture, once you understand, you slowly get your privileges back and then you flourish into a, um, you know, a fully rounded functional adult. And I think that's part of what, um, if I had to speak on their behalf, part of what they're trying to do in the context of youth soccer, because people talk about this all the time. Oh, you know, it's not really about the soccer I want my kids to develop and grow and to become men. So then my question is always, okay, well, what are you doing differently than everybody else? Because if you do the same things that everybody else is doing, um, you're going to get their result. And that actually brings me to the tip and I'll leave with this. Ask your your kids. I'll be interested in hearing uh, what you guys post on Facebook. Ask your child if they're in competitive sport and they want to do this thing, at least in their minds, just ask them, what are you doing? What are you going to do this week? Or what are you doing regularly that's different than anybody else that did everybody else is doing? And how do you think that's going to benefit you to achieve your goal? So that's my tip. I'm going to ask my boys that. What are you doing differently? And how do you think it's going to benefit you? And I'm going to, and I'm, um, you know, I've been thinking about that for myself. And so one of the things I do differently than my friends is I'm trying to start my own business. Why? Because I want to, you know, provide more for my family, have freedom, spend um, more time with my kids. So that's what I'm trying to do differently. Um, I need to do a little bit more differently in the health and fitness area, but that's another subject. And so I'm going to ask my sons the same thing. All right, guys. Hey, this is Neil Crawford with Anytime Soccer Training. You've been listening to the Inside Scoop. Do me a favor. Please go to anytime-soccer.com and join the uh, join the mailing list and also join uh, for free and check it out and let me know what you think. Let's get better together. Mm-hmm.